0: Oh, it's been
1: about two weeks since we uh, put out any content. Just about. I'd say we're we're on yeah, two weeks and like, what, two a hours? Day? Two weeks
2: and a, a day, almost.
1: And a day, you're right. Yeah, Two weeks and should a day. We, should we put out some content? You know what? I think maybe that's not a bad idea. We did say we were doing bi-weekly content.
2: Oh, we did, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I wonder if we have any content that we could put out. Ooh, that's a really... Really, really interesting question. Let me just... I'm going to look through... I'm going to look through our archives, okay? Oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. I'm scrolling. What
1: are you seeing? What are you seeing? I'm scrolling. I'm seeing... I'm scrolling. I'm seeing your lumberjack... Beer. Evan cooking tutorials. No, no, mm-hmm. I
2: don't think we should put those out.
1: The cooking tutorials were fire, bro. I don't think
2: we should put those out yet.
1: Yeah, you're right. I'm seeing um, um, masculinity do- and gun violence...
2: Mm, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. I'm seeing uh, a bike safety video.
1: Oh, shoot. Maybe oh. we should
2: put that out. We should put that out. Nah. Nah. Nah.
1: nah. nah. Not the nah. time and place.
2: I'm seeing a uh, lecture series on
1: uh, masculine studies that we gave last week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Should that, we put that out? That was such a good lecture series, yeah. bro. I feel like I feel like to do that one justice, we have to rate, wait until... The cosmos calls down to us. You okay. know what I mean? Okay, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm either. not ready for that either. Um, you see any other content? Do you know what I think I am ready for? What are you ready I, for? This one is that the very? Oh, I see it. I see it. You see it. See it. it. Yeah, you yeah. see it. It's like the top one. I don't know how we scrolled past yeah, it the first either. time. Um, Eamon Ismail. Amon Ismail. Who's that? He, oh, he hosts that podcast at Slate. Oh, right,
2: man right. Up, that one up. about masculinity, yeah. Man Up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I remember that. We interviewed him, didn't we?
1: Yeah, that was a that dope was interview. That was a dope interview. Yeah.
2: Should we put that content
1: out? You know what? I think I would like to learn more about what it means to have that masculine stereotype of being the caretaker or the giver. I couldn't agree more. And where where is it good and where is it problematic and how do we balance those aspects? Ooh. And how do we do that? Yeah. He was doing, like, cool shoulder movements, but you can't see that because this is a podcast.
2: I think we should play it.
1: I think we should play it, too.
2: Are you ready? I'm going to close my eyes and count to three. One, One, two, three. three. (laughs) Wait, are we playing on play or are we playing on three? Play. Okay. One, One, two, two, three, play. Play. On the air with uh, Eamon Ismail of Slate. Eamon, would you introduce yourself to everyone?
3: Yo, yeah, my name is Eamon Ismail. I'm a, I, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. I'm a journalist at Slate Magazine, where they let me get away with crazy headlines like how to raise children that won't send <laughs> pics. So, uh, yeah, I, I host a podcast called Man Up. Sammy was generous enough to be a guest on our show. And I'm really excited to be a guest on his. So, yeah, right on. Yeah, well, thanks, welcome. thanks for returning thanks. the favor. Yeah. Yo, you killed it, and it's, like, one of my favorite episodes, so this is a privilege, man.
1: That means that means the world to me. No, it was funny. I, like, I listened to that uh, your podcast a little bit with my cousin, and this bum Sammy did not tell me he went on. And so we just picked an episode about <laughs> crying, and all of a sudden I hear Sammy's voice, and I'm like, what?
3: <laughs> Yo!" and he it was, killed it, too. Yeah. He killed it. He honestly, he let me in in ways that other guests haven't. And, yeah, it's just one of those episodes where it, it kind of cuts through to the, the, the goal of the show, right? What I'm trying to do with the show Man Up is I'm trying to have people come on and be vulnerable and ask questions of themselves and hopefully inspire people listening to, to maybe relate. And allow themselves to ask those questions of themselves, too. So, it's, like, perfect. Because I got a lot of responses from that show saying, yo, honestly, I didn't even realize I had problems with crying at all in the first place until listening to that show. So, it's uh, it's really productive, I think. It's cool. Yeah.
1: Hell yeah. What made you decide to start making that? Like, was there, was there like, a particular moment where you were like, this is something I want to do? Or was it something you yeah, came to? Yeah, kind of.
3: It, it, it's sort of like a, like, all paths took me here kind of story. So... When I started first getting into journalism, I I felt like I needed to tell my story, right? Uh, I grew up Muslim, Arab in America, so I had like this culture clash. I I would like turn on the TV and see a version of me that I didn't understand. But then then in my own family, I saw another version of myself that I didn't understand. And when I was with like homies and outside uh, the house, I, I felt like everybody was curious. It was like, well, what kind of Muslim are you? And I didn't even know, man. I'm like 16 trying to explain to people why 9-11 happened, you know? So I didn't understand my own story, but I realized that that was a story that needed to be told. And so when I got into journalism, that's what I tried to do. When I started working at Slate and had the power to make my own show, I produced a show called Who's Afraid of Amon Ismail, right? And that was the whole premise. It was... Who the hell are Muslims in America? Like, who are we supposed to be? Who's influencing that choice? And what does that experience actually look like? And it was all just for me. Like, I was trying to understand those questions for my own sake. And after completing that show, I realized that I had a lot of more fundamental questions, not just based on religion, but like more relatable ones. Like, what kind of provider am I supposed to be for my family? What kind of husband am I supposed to be? What kind of son? What kind of brother? All these questions about manhood. like My identity is rooted in how I see myself. And a lot of those questions come from the kind of man that I'm supposed to be. So it felt like the natural next step after finishing that series. Wow. Um, You know, I'm a brown man with a
1: beard who grew up. 20 miles from Dearborn, Michigan. Um, hey,
3: shout out to you, man. <laughs> yeah, but
1: um, I, I just want to know, before before we get into more on the masculinity, I want to know what a little more about what that experience, because I've watched, I've watched a bit of your show, and I wanted to know what was sort of the hardest experience about making that and what you
3: learned um, about both your Muslim identity and the country we live in. All right. So for people who don't know, on this show I got to interview – you know, like, right-wing Republicans who wanted to pass laws against what they called Sharia law, which is, you know, stupid. But then they also had, I also had people on the show who I thought were, like, spreading stereotypes, right? Mm -hmm. So I had this, like, Christian writer, conservative writer named Raymond Ibrahim who was explaining to me why he thought all Muslims were liars. But to say, to say that those were hard interviews to do, that's just, that wouldn't be true. The hardest ones were the ones with my family, you know? Uh, I've had one episode all about the hijab, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that I think a lot of people think about when they think about Muslims. They think of a woman wearing a hijab. Right. And so, yeah, the only people that I that I really trust to tell that kind of story in a in a relatable way were my own family, right? They weren't you know, going to just talk about the religious texts or what verses they thought influenced them in that way. It was more so about the expectations they had of each other. So, you know, so I had my sister on, and my mom on, which is really hard to do as a journalist, right? right? You're interviewing your mom. You're you're kind of dangling yourself in between two roles. On one hand, you're an investigative journalist. you got to be asking the tough questions, the embarrassing ones. You want an emotional response. But on the other hand, she's my mom, so she had this moment where she started to tear up because I asked her, could she imagine a world where her daughter didn't cover her hair in public? And she was like, oh, my God, like if that were to happen, I would feel like I failed to teach her to love God. Mm. You know, it was wow. such a, a fundamentally raw moment for her. And I don't think she's ever articulated it that way in her life. Mm. And she started crying. She started crying right. on camera. Wow. And any journalist will tell you that's that's the good, shit, right? Mm. Sorry, that's the good stuff. That's oh, what you're, you're, you're there. Cheering. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we can bleep. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. So yeah, that's that's like what you're there to do is to get those kinds of responses. But then, it, I, I don't know. I had like a split second to make that choice. Mm. Who am I in this role? Am I gonna protect her? Am I gonna tell her, "Hey, we can stop recording. Mm. It's your you're in control." Or am I gonna start asking more questions to get a more riled up response? And in the end, I told her, yeah, we'll give you a second. I'm going to stop recording. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking at the footage, and I'm like, oh, that would have been a good time to ask this next question. Yeah. But as a journalist, you know, but as a, as a son, yeah, that was really hard. That was really hard to do.
2: Yeah, what has that been like on Man Up? Because I know you've had your, your, your wife on, like, quite a few times.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's easy to do with my wife. Really? We have that kind of relationship mm-hmm. where... Uh, We're like comfortable digging at each other. It's like flirting for us, you know. Like (laughs) talking about this. Uh, I I had my brother on the show really Mm -hmm. early on, one of the early episodes. He's a new father. He had twins, and Mm -hmm. they're two boys. And yeah, in our family, we had the kind of dad who would hit us if he thought that we were running, we were getting out of line. It was Mm -hmm. like the easy way to discipline us, right? It worked. It really worked. (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> we were really good kids because we were afraid that we were going to get. <laughs> uh, so I was like, yo, what are you going to do? You got two boys now. So we first talked about him uh, like re- recalling a time where he got hurt really bad from from being a bad kid. He was riding his bicycle in the street, like between the cars when he was he knew that he shouldn't have. So our dad like spanked him to be like, yo, don't do that. You could have got hit by a car. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I asked him, like, what would you do if you caught your sons doing something that you explicitly told them not to? And he was like, "Yo, I don't know. I-, I won't know until that happens. But he knows for sure that he wants to do everything that he can without hitting them or without hurting them. He doesn't want them to feel like uh, they he- they can't trust him mm-hmm. or his emotions." So yeah. it was a really raw experience. I uh, what was weird about it was we never had that conversation outside of that context, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's my family. When we're yeah. showing up, we're talking about, you know, like, family stuff. Yeah. Like, right. oh, how's work? How's your kids? Oh, funny experience. Oh, what are you going to do for their birthdays? Mm-hmm. We're not really talking about, like, what are your plans for discipline? You know what right. I mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it was, like, a cool opportunity to do that. I think the, the cool thing about having a podcast about masculinity is that I get to ask questions that I would have never have thought to ask. Mm. So... It's really fulfilling in that way.
1: No, for sure. And one thing that really stuck out to me about that story is, like, just sort of the idea of men as, like, protectors and just more broadly providers. I think that's something that Sammy and I have really been working through these past this past year on this podcast.
2: Yeah, we we sort of, just to give you a little background, Eamon, we got into that question a little bit because we were doing a episode on, like, why so many guys – like our age, especially and especially older guys, like refused to go to the doctor. Um yeah. and we called Evan's dad and like basically put him on the spot and asked him like why he hasn't gone in for
1: his colonoscopy. <laughs> um, He's like five years overdue with bad. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: luckily Evan's dad wasn't like too mad at us about that. Um but it it got us to like this question or like sort of paradox of like men see ourselves as like providers and protectors um, but sometimes we don't make decisions that are like completely in line with that and then what are the ethics behind um, like choosing and really trying to be providers as a whole Um, so I'm curious like in your life what what has been your relationship to this identity of like man as a provider and and a protector
3: damn that's a really hard question man because it's it's influenced me in ways that I haven't even acknowledged yet you know what I mean Mm -hmm. Like every time I'm stuck on something, I'm like, oh, it's because I think I have to be this kind of machismo man who is taking care of everything. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a story, right? So over the, the Christmas break and like the New Year break, I got really sick. Mm-hmm. I had like a, a cough that was getting worse every day. The sniffles, a sore throat. My face looked like it was leaking. You know, it was like one of those situations. And I had like family friends over. So we were, we were, I, was, I was in the mode of, like, entertaining and providing entertainment and mm-hmm. hosting, right? They're at, like, my house. Mm-hmm. And so I go to the pharmacy to go pick up, like, a deck of cards so we can play card games together, right? That's, like, a fun family thing. And I get back in the car, and my wife is like, oh, what'd you get? I was like, yeah, I got this deck of cards. We can go, like, play games together. They're like, yo, Amen. look at your face. You just came out of a pharmacy, and you're not going to get, like, whatever medicine that you need for your, for your health. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Mm. It didn't even occur to me that I was at a drugstore, that I can get, like, cough syrup, or I can get anything to, like, to lower the cold that I was suffering through. And, it, and I had this moment. I was like, oh, my God, like, am I that feeble that I, I can't even take care of myself in the simplest way? And I realized that it was because I, I keep thinking about other people. And not in like the humble way, like, oh what a great guy, think about other people. It's more like (laughs) it's stupid. It's like you're not taking care of yourself so that you can take care of other people. And yeah, it's scary. It's scary, man. I really feel like I'm gonna die young because of how little I take care of my own health. Wow. And what am I gonna do for my family, right? Like am I just gonna leave my wife as a widow or if I have kids, am I gonna leave them without a father? Because I waited until the very last minute. To go seek treatment when I'm, when maybe the the extra week would have made the difference, it's kind of scary. Do
2: you do you go to like just curious if if you don't mind uh, uh, answering? Do you go to the doctor like on a fairly regular
3: basis? Nah, man, I haven't been to the doctor in years. In years, it's bad, man. Bro, you're uh, out I'm, here.
2: You're out here <laughs> leading a podcast <laughs> on masculinity right yeah. now.
3: <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's yeah. like I suck at it. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons that. I'm, I'm so excited about this show is because I'm I'm benefiting <laughs> from it. Yeah, I like I like the ones where I'm the protagonist. Like recent, mm. like, I mean, this episode doesn't come out yet, but the next one is about uh, asking for help and knowing when to ask for help. Mm. And we talked about this. We talked about going to the doctor and and accepting the fact that you're sick. Yeah, and why that's so hard. So, yeah. I mean, I don't have the answers, man. I'm trying. I'm trying to go through this like everybody else. Mm. But but the worst part is. Uh, when you when you acknowledge your shortcomings especially in such a public way I'm kind of in this position that feels so vulnerable and it and it fights against that part of me that feels like I need to be the provider the protector and yeah it's it it's like having to tear yourself apart and piece it back together but hopefully the goal is by the end of the show and by the end of the season I'll be a better man and the people listening can, be inspired to make themselves into better men too. So definitely, there's a purpose. There's a purpose yeah. to the madness, you know. Always, no. I'm
1: wondering because you like it. It seems like you sort of have, like, in some aspects of your life. And I think we all sort of do that provider mindset. I'm curious, how does that affect your relationship with your, um, with your family, with your, with your kids, and with your
3: wife? Uh, I don't have kids yet. Oh, okay, I kind of want kids, but um, I don't know. Uh so the question is how does that provider mentality like ripple into other parts of my life? Mhm. Hmm. Well, the biggest thing is I don't take care of myself. Right? Uh I'm that guy who the dentist just stops calling and stops trying to reschedule cuz I keep missing appointments. Mm. You ghosted your dentist? Dude, it's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. Three times, man, three times in a row mm-hmm. for the for the the, the routine cleaning. Mm. Oh wow! And it's because I'm I'm like so focused on things that I consider to be more masculine, mm-hmm. right? Like um, I'm so much so so much more focused on like wanting to be a better employee so I can get a raise at the end of the year mm-hmm. mm. than I am making sure my teeth don't fall out of my mouth, you know. And yeah, it, it I think it has a lot to do with what I consider to be productive. Mm -hmm. and useful for other people right so here's another like stupid example we had furniture delivered recently uh and there was like they're trying to move in like this couch that i had bought on black friday and it was taking like months to get delivered it was one of those situations and instead of like clearing the space and making sure they had room for the couch i was out there trying to help them carry it out of the truck you know mm. and it was one of those yeah. moments where i was like that's not even the most useful thing i could have been doing at that moment right. but it was probably the more masculine thing yeah yeah like having to show off to to your wife who's watching that i can carry this big heavy thing mm. too but instead i what i really should have been doing was moving like the sneakers out of the way so they don't have to step on them when they bring the giant thing into the room mm. you know or or moving like the little plants that we have so that they don't get crushed by these guys trying to bring in this heavy thing. And it was another one of those moments where I'm like, I feel stupid. I feel like, do you know, like, why? Why do I feel like I need to perform in front of people when instead I could just be smart? I don't know. Yeah, I want to
2: dive in a little bit to... um, sort of not just why this is but like how we're socialized this way right because if if it is so consistent that men like continuously want to be providers i feel like as as social animals like we must be getting some sort of validation for that right so i'm mm-hmm. i guess i'm curious um from your perspective like where does that validation come from and and like why does this um why does this activity and like action continue for men or or at least like where do you feel um you've been socialized to want to be a provider.
3: Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, man. It's got me thinking about how in a lot of ways men are like dogs. You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Like we're so excited about the small little treats. <laughs> right? Like the Wait. small little reward. <laughs> and yeah, I keep thinking back to like those little little bits of acknowledgement that you get from other men and what you get them for. Hmm. Right? Wait, like, we you get a girl's We literally yeah. compliment each other like
1: like, like, you're a dog. Yeah. That's crazy. Good s***, bro.
3: Really cool job on that thing, bro. Like, it's yeah. just, like, kind of stupid. Yeah. Um, I say it's stupid, but it's really important to me, too. Like, I really want that validation as well. Uh, I think about how, at least when I was younger and I was, like, 16, 15, like, some people are out getting jobs and they have money. We're starting to, like, date, right? We want attention from whatever gender we're attracted to. And I and I had some like friends that were girls, and they were also going out on dates. And I was really paying attention to the things that they were saying about what went wrong on those dates, as a way to be prepared for when I get on that date, right? Mm. And the thing that kept on coming up was, oh man, he didn't even pay for my Whopper. Mm. You know, he didn't even hold the door open for me. Oh, he picked me up and gave me a bus ticket, or he made me pay for the bus. Mm. And those are the things that I was really paying attention to. It was like. Oh, well, I guess in order to be, uh, like, a good candidate for a partner, I need to also be a provider. I also got to be the one who's paying for everything or getting them gifts. And instead of getting them, like, a flower that I picked, I should go get a bouquet from the store, Mm -hmm. you know? And there were all these, uh, like, red flags that they were raising. And I'm talking about 16-year-old girls, right? And they were all, like, money based. And it sounded like in order to be a successful partner, I needed to be rich. I needed to be able to pay for things. I got to be able to pick her up in a car, you know? And so there's like, I, I was really wanting that kind of validation. And so when I first liked a girl and I really wanted her to like me back, I saved up all the money that I had and I didn't have a job at this time. So I had like 20 bucks and I spent it all on chocolate and flowers. Bro, you know what happened next? She gave it to her friend. She was like, oh, this is really nice. This is my friend's favorite chocolate. I'm going to share it with oh. her. And I'm sitting there sitting there, watching her her friend eat all of them. And I'm like, I didn't even need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You know, wow. but these are like the small lessons that yeah. I feel like. You're like, I can't even buy can't... the Whopper now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm screwed. Yeah. You know, I can't even pay for the movie. So now it's like, th- I feel like these little lessons exist in my subconscious Right. Like, mm-hmm. it's not even like a conscious thing that I'm referring back to, like, oh, in order to be a good husband, I got to pay for that whopper. It's these, these little things that taught me the first lessons that I learned in being a good partner that I'm, I feel like I need to, um, like, perform in order to be a good husband. And I think telling these stories and acknowledging how silly they are or, or the context of where they come from really helped me contextualize the things that really are important in art. And, and that's when I realized, like, just being there, showing up, right, is way more valuable as a partner than being able to pay for the bus or being able to pick up somebody in a car. What struck me about that story is, like,
2: that was – you, you said you were 16 years old at the time, is that right? Yeah, yeah. What struck me about that or, like, a thought that, that was raised by me or, or in my head is, like, do we stop developing our ideas of what it means to be a man – at 16 or do they not, do they stop like continuing at like at that point? Cause it, it feels to me that like that sort of same, um, identity of provider, like doesn't really change or develop further. Right. And like, obviously we continue to mature as people, but like, I feel like our identities as sometimes as like what they mean or like what society is telling us to be as men, like stay consistent with that, um, uh, with that pretty destructive ideology.
3: Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if like, that my learning of what, take, what it takes to be a man stopped then, mm-hmm. but I can tell you that that's when I really desired to be a man. Yeah. Mm. right. And that's probably when I was most impressionable. Uh, I think it just gets more complicated as you get older. You end up having more responsibilities and maybe even more people depending on you, depending if you get married or have a kid. So I don't think that that's where you stop learning, uh-huh. but I think that that's where my desire to be a man peaked. Because I'm young. And once you're young and you feel old, there was something happening inside my mind where I wanted to get to the next level quick. I wanted to be considered a man so that I can get all these privileges that I imagined come with being a man, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I wanted that kind of freedom. I wanted that kind of respect. I wanted that kind of acknowledgement, that reaffirmation. And yeah, so in that context... I'm looking at my role models. I'm looking at all of the men around me that I respect, that I consider to be great men. And luckily for me, my father was still around. Mm-hmm. uh He was working on a tow truck. That was like his job. He was a tow truck driver, still is. And I thought, okay, well, I want to be like him. I want to be the person who, when my mom asks for money, he's like, bam, got you, pulls out the wad. You know, like that's the kind of man that I want to be. And I also thought about like my oldest brother who was eight years older than me. So he was like a grown man when I was still a kid. Mm -hmm. And the same thing, right? When, uh, whenever any of us younger siblings wanted money for like anything, I wanted to study for my SATs. So he was like, boom, pulled out the wad. He was like, here, go get some flashcards. Like that's fire. Like that's dope. So for me as a young kid, I'm thinking, okay, well if I want to be a man like that, I got to also be able to pull out the wad whenever anybody wants something and be like, don't even worry about that. I got you. Mm. Boom. I just made your life that much easier. You're welcome. Right? Yeah. That's that's where that's what I was around. That's the kind of energy that I was surrounded with. And even like, you know, teachers, bus drivers, sometimes even cops, you know, people who are there to help. Like that was the impression that I had of like what it takes to be a man. Right. And, you know, it's a lot more complicated now. I, I see men who are... Emotionally available for people, and I consider that to also be a trait that makes you a man. I think it's getting more complicated, but I think especially in that time where I'm desiring, right, that reaffirmation, that I'm desiring that status, that's probably where I got the most deep-rooted, the most deep-seated impressions of what it takes. And as a result, that's probably the foundation, the bedrock of what I imagine it takes to be a man. But as it gets more complicated, then there's like all these clashes right now. I'm thinking about, well, how do I become emotionally available while at the same time being the the sturdy foundation of, of like supply in a family? Like how do those two things work together? And sometimes when those two things clash, I feel like I need to choose something or maybe make a judgment about someone who's emotionally available. Oh, well, you can't possibly do that while at the same time being the sturdy foundation of that family so therefore he must be doing it wrong, mm. right? And that's the risk. So I think there's something powerful about being able to complicate your ideas about masculinity, especially as you grow older and it's required. Uh, but I think it's entirely possible for some people to reject other ideas that don't gel with the earliest ideas of what, what it takes to be a masculine right. man. So well, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's both. For sure. Uh, one thing that really struck
1: me when you were talking about your dad, is, like, there was so much beauty wrapped up in that story. Like, the idea that your dad can, like, get you in that way or, like, get your mom or whoever or, you know, like, be be able to be that backbone. I think there's a lot of beauty in that. And I think one thing that I always get stuck on is, like, there's a lot of beauty in a lot of different places in masculinity, but there's a lot of ugliness, too. Um, And so what I'm wondering is, like, how... You know, as someone who thinks about this a lot, like, how do you try to capture that beauty in your life while sort of distancing yourself from more of the ugly aspects that we've talked
3: about? Damn. That's like the impossible question. (laughs) Like, I think that's like the question that everybody wants the answer to. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you distinguish between the good parts of being attached to ideals of being a masculine man versus the bad ones? Mm. It's hard. Um... I don't know. (laughs) It's like really, really hard. Uh, You know, this is something that I learned from uh, studying religion. Uh, Mm -hmm. I felt like I needed to be a a scholar of Islam because so many people were asking me questions about Islam. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to give them wrong answers. So I was um, studying a lot about what it takes to be a good husband way before I got married. Because people kept on asking me, oh, well, you're a Muslim man. That means you're sexist. Oh, oh! you're a Muslim man. That means you're comfortable with abusing your wife with violence. Like that, that type of shit. So, for me, I, I had to reckon with these really fundamental ideas within the religion and try and understand them in a way that made sense to me. And that process really trained me to be critical about ideas that I thought were unquestionable, you know, uh, especially when we talk about religion, there's like this level of accessibility, right? You're not, you're not uh, well-educated enough to decide what's right and wrong. That's why you have to go seek, like, advice from an elder or somebody with, uh, in my case, a big, long beard, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that process of trying to understand something in a particular way helped me do the same thing with my masculinity, I couldn't afford to be that Muslim man who was reinforcing stereotypes about what a Muslim man is because I'm going to suffer those consequences, right? If I am saying, oh, well, the Quran does say that you can lightly beat your wife and that's it, then I'm going to be having to answer for those stereotypes my whole life as an abuser without ever having abused anyone. And I think the same thing happened when I was thinking about masculinity, right? How do I reconcile these things that I think are so fundamental to being a man? And I grew up in an inner city, so fighting is one of those things. Being able to defend yourself uh, verbally and non-verbally. How do you do that? How do you protect your own honor? When at the same time, you know, saying that violence is never an option. Like, how do those two things exist in the same world? Because on the one hand, you do need to be able to protect yourself and your family from people who are violent. But at the same time, you also got to be inclining to peace. It's like these two, uh, these two clashing ideas that I don't think there's like an easy answer to. I think, there. I think everyone kind of needs to come to that answer on themselves. Like, how reliant are they on violence to begin with? Versus, is it a really an option for you? Can you really just not be violent? I know that's kind of like a weird, complicated answer, but hmm. that's as close as I've gotten to it. An no, answer.
2: I think the thing that that stand, that stands out to me that is pretty consistent in a lot of what we talked about is, um, it's f- confusing, right? And, like, be like, the, when it takes being a, when you want to decide, like, how you're gonna, the type of man you're gonna be, there's, like, all sorts of conflicting identities, um, or, or, or maybe contributing identities, um, to, to who we are, and being a man is, is just, is just one of those things, but, um, you know, how do, how do we decide, like, how do we decide who the f- are. And I mean, not to get all angsty, but like Evan and I are nineteen and, and twenty years old, and I
3: think that's really what we're trying to figure out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a thousand different answers. Mm-hmm. That's that's the that's the crazy part, especially when you're thinking about like asking for help. This mm-hmm. is uh, this is fresh on my mind, and I'm, like being a provider, like I can think of a, a thousand reasons why that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, to to want to be a stable bedrock so that other people around you can live better lives like that's that's noble mm. uh, but on the one hand if you let it get to your head, you can forget to take care of yourself so I think the the question that we're really trying to answer here is how do you do it all? how mm. do you take care of yourself take care of other people? how do you protect yourself protect other people? you know and there are the, these fundamental ideas that I don't think are wrong, mm-hmm. but I think it's just complicated like wanting to Uh, you know like express your love by buying things it's cheap it's kind of corny yeah but it's not bad like some people actually respond to that and some Mm -hmm. people like that or maybe even will judge you and be like oh well he never he didn't get me an anniversary gift so Mm -hmm. he's a scrub Mm -hmm. i think everyone's working in this weird paradigm where they're trying to be an idealized version of themselves yeah but as a culture right as a culture It's so much more complicated than that. Everybody's bringing their baggage into their identities, and I think it's noble to want to improve yourself, but to tear it down and say we got to start from scratch, that's impossible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's real. I think the
2: paradoxical thing about uh, wanting to be a provider and not taking care of, uh, of ourselves is, like, you can't really be providing for somebody else if you're, like, Sick, or if you're not, or if you're not healthier, like in the extreme case, like if you're dead, you know. But yet we somehow let, like, the idea of, oh, we must provide for them, so we can't take care of ourselves, like, get in the way of what we're actually
3: trying to do. You know, my my wife works in a hospital, Mm -hmm. and so she works with cancer patients. Mm -hmm. That's like her her bread and butter. And uh, she provides like religious counseling for them. She's a Muslim chaplain, and one thing that she she tells me she sees a lot are men refusing help, right? She'll like walk into a room and she just will assume about a man that he doesn't actually want this kind of religious counseling. Really? Uh, and that's like a bias that she brings, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, she, most of the time she says that she's surprised and that men are ready to talk. Mm. But I think there, there's some truth to that, right? There's like this idea that as a provider to be provided for, makes you weak. Hmm right to be to be the one who's seeking help puts you at this position where you're vulnerable that you do need somebody else to take care of you and that's really hard to digest if you've seen your entire life that you are the provider and that you should be around so that other people when they get sick you can you can help them or even when they don't even get to that level say they're like me when my older brother got me those flashcards so that i could study for the sats like you know like i can imagine him being the older one who is broke, and I'm the one who has the job, and I'm the younger one. He always sees himself as the provider. I can see a world where he's like, no, nah, I don't need your money. Like, no, nah, I got it. No, 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 don't help me. Because it's kind of, it's, it goes against everything that we're talking about, right? Being the provider and having to be provided for. Those two things can't exist in the same world, theoretically. But then everybody needs help. Everybody. there's no world where anybody doesn't need anybody's help, right? right. Mm-hmm. Even if you have all the money in the world, there's a lot that you need help with. I guarantee it. So it's like, how do, you, how do you decide which one are you in any given moment? And another thing that I found, while not to like shift gears here, but another thing that I found in producing the Man Up show is that I have like a very, very strong present bias where I am so influenced by whatever it is right in front of me. So even after we finish this conversation, I can talk to another person and totally have a different opinion about things that I'm saying right now. Huh. And so I think, like, everything that we do, we have to make a choice on, like, who we are in that moment and everything. And so I think it's totally fine to, to be a provider for some people, be provided for by other people, kind of like mix and matching. And, mm. and I do this a lot, right? Like, when I'm with a certain crowd, I'll turn into a different kind of man. Right. Like when I'm with like my guy friends and we're playing basketball, I'm going to be aggressive as I'm going to be really rowdy. I'm going to curse a lot. But when I'm with my parents, I'm going to be I'm I'm I'm, I have it in my mind where in order to make them happy, I have to make them feel like they're taking care of me. So one thing that my mom loves is when I like show up to the kitchen and be like, Mom, I'm hungry. (laughs) Uh, See, I'm like a totally different person with her. So I think it's totally fine to. To let these ideas clash and not feel like you gotta be the same person all the time and not hold yourself to these impossible standards. Yeah. You know? I don't know if that's helpful. No but it helps me.
1: One of the things I've been really stuck on personally while making this show is like I think like you I have that same sort of presency bias and that like I shift a lot of who I am and I think a lot of that has to connect to like my opinion of masculinity as a whole. Um, and so my question for you is how much do you think, you don't, you don't have to have an answer to this cause this is something that like we're definitely still working through as well. Um, how much do you think making man up has changed who you are as a man versus shifted the environment that you as a man are in?
3: Hmm. Can I tell you about how I thought it was going to change me and then yeah. talk about how wrong I was? Yes. <laughs> Please do It's so it's so much easier for me to talk about how, how I was wrong in this context Because when I was coming in, I was like I'm going to be so much better I'm going to have it all figured out I'm going to be asking these questions And then in the end, I'll come up with answers And boy, was I wrong <laughs> I wasn't just wrong, I was wrong as f*** <laughs> you know what I mean? uh, So like, the first episode that we recorded was with this boxer, and he was, like, very machismo. He's like a boxing coach now, and he's all about fighting, and all about teaching people to fight, and how, like, violence saved him and ruined his life at the same time. I'm, I'm also one of those kids who, uh, like, had to fight, just because I was around that environment,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and I was expecting to come out of that conversation being like, we figured it out. We came to the conclusion that, like, fighting is wrong, and that Maybe even if you do it when you're a kid, you get to like grow up and be that kind of person who doesn't anymore. And I just came out more confused, man. I was like, he got a point. Like, I mean, he said some like really problematic things yeah. that I let rock because I feel like a lot of people could relate to them. He said like, how do you even know yourself as a man if you uh, if you've never gotten in a fight? And he said something that uh, that bothered the s*** of me. He was like, you might be a. And I was like, bro, you're so wrong. But then I felt like I had that same bias against people who've also, like, never been in a fight. Uh-huh. And on Twitter, I'm such an a**, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everybody else. Uh, there was a moment when somebody, uh, I th- I think, like, I got, I got into, like, the conservative cycle. You know how, like... Somebody on the opposing side will be like, this person is awful. And then all their followers will jump in like a dog pile and be like, you're awful. You know that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one person was like, um, you know, oh, tell, why don't you tell us where you live? I'll show up and I'll beat you up or something like that. And I had like that playground mentality where I was like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and I actually tweeted out a location very close to where I live. And... And I was like, "All right, I'll see you on this time." And as soon as I sent it, I was like, mm, "I feel good about this." <laughs> and then I had a, uh, and then I had somebody close to me be like, "Yo, delete that, <laughs> delete that. What's wrong with you?" And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm trying to like call this person out on their bluff because for some reason I was like expecting." The crowd of kids who are watching to be like, Oh <laughs> but but, like for me, I'm just like, you stupid, why would I do that? Why would I put myself at risk like I don't know if this person has a gun, <laughs> like the point I was trying to make was this kid would never show up to a neighborhood that I live in, like I still live in Newark, I still live in the neighborhood that I grew up in, yeah, but like, why, why, yeah, yeah. so I was expecting from having that conversation about fighting to come out and be like enlightened yeah but i'm still not just in square one but i'm like more confused than ever yeah i, I, I think remember, it's a good thing. oh sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say i think that's fine i think it's fine to be confused as long as i'm acknowledging how confused i am same thing with religion mm. i i think it's so much more healthy to instead of acting like i have all the answers to to feel like i have a thousand and one questions anyways go ahead um i was gonna say i remember because you you spoke about that on on
2: on the podcast and in my head, like, I remember, I remember thinking, like, dude, what the f Like, this this guy's so smart. Like, why is he, like, how is he, how is he basically, like, putting, like, putting himself in this position? Um, But then I thought to myself, like, what you did is basically the equivalent of when you're, like, 13 years old, like, hanging out with friends, someone insults you, and you're like, come on, step up. Yeah. Like, it's the same thing, you know? You're calling, you're trying to call people on your bluff, which is, like, is a very, like,
1: seen as a very just like classically manly thing to do do you guys ever feel like you're living your life like there's a crowd of 10 year old dudes <laughs> watching yeah you know what i mean <laughs>
3: it's whack but yeah like sometimes yeah. i feel mean, like i'll go
1: and make decisions <laughs> that are like for my 10 year old self like you're saying i'll go like because like 10 year old me was like this scrawny little like because like i play contact sports but i was like never i was never like that big right mm-hmm. um so 10-year-old me was, would be, like, just, like, dreaming about, like, like, I played, like, hockey, right? I'm half Canadian. And so i dream about, like, blowing people up in, like, these massive <laughs> checks. And then, like, by the time I got to high school and actually did it, I was like, yes, like, there's a bunch of 10-year-old me's up there. Like,
3: you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, for no good reason. You're
2: just 10-year-old hype, man. Like.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: wow. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. I know what you mean. It, it like, manifests in all these different ways, too. Like for example, I still feel a little skittish about kissing my wife in front of my friends. Mm. She's my wife. Like that's Mm -hmm. they know that we like kiss, but for some reason, I'm like expecting them to be like, "Ew." (laughs) That's That's
0: so funny. That's so.
1: (laughs) That's
3: actually hilarious.
1: I like. Yeah, it's obviously I'm not married, but like, also kind of relate to that in a in a way. Um, I feel like the hardest part – I think the hardest part of your life to let someone into is your love life. mm, mm. Um, What do you mean by that? I feel like just for me personally, it's the thing I'm worst at like – because I've been trying like to be really intentional over the past year making this podcast. Like I feel like like if I'm going to make a podcast on masculinity, I should like put forth like a full effort in the rest of my life to be like as – like, point out, like, toxicity where it is and, like, be emotionally open. And that's been really hard. And the area where I've just struggled with it the most is, like, I just cannot talk to anyone except for, like, my three or four closest friends about relationships. Like, the words just don't happen. It's weird.
3: I feel you on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You got to walk the walk. So what happens when that kind of stuff comes up? Do people ever say, oh, you host this podcast about masculinity? Like, do you want to talk about this topic?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, last night, I have a friend who is not a man and we have like this kind of relationship where like we both we both talk a lot of shit basically um mm-hmm. and she came into my or they came in my room last night and we like talking all this smack right and i had like this really really witty comeback i don't remember what it was but i remember that it was good <laughs> and that i was proud of it but yeah. then there was like 10 other people in the room and they were like wow you're like so mean to me like sort of half jokingly and the first thing that like came out of my mouth without thinking of it is I was like I gotta defend myself against like your brutal attacks like I can't I can't sit here while you just tear me apart and they're all like wow that's like really for someone who like has a podcast on masculinity that was pretty toxic <laughs> and, I, and I was like you got me there that's hilarious yeah I don't know
2: I mean in some I ways it's, I yeah, feel like we're doing yeah. this exploration like yeah. because we see these things in ourselves you know what I definitely mean? Um, at least for me like I, yeah. I just I like. I think I was, I'm really excited to talk about these things because I think I'm so flawed in this area. Yeah,
1: definitely. Amen, I really related to the thing you said about, you know, coming in and feeling like because we're making this now, like we got these answers, like we know what questions to ask and so we're going to have the answers and become better men and like we're going to be better men like automatically by doing this. Um, And I think the hardest part of like making a podcast and like. I don't know if it's the same for you, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But the hardest part of this for me is recognizing, like, how few of the answers I actually have and just realizing, like, sometimes I don't even know the questions. And, like, really this podcast is about finding the questions, not the answers.
3: Yo, can you hear me snapping? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's fire. That's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel, man. And I hope whoever's listening out there acknowledges that, that, like, asking questions of yourself is the first Step and sometimes it doesn't go further than that, but that's the foundation of how to improve yourself And when we were talking about like asking for help You won't know what you're asking for help for unless you first acknowledge. Oh my god. I'm sick mm-hmm. I might need some medicine mm-hmm. or oh my god. My arm hurts. I should see a doctor Or oh my teeth hurt. I should probably stop skipping these appointments, you know Man. I think like remembering the fact that you're human and that even though even if you strive to be infallible fine, if you feel like there's, like, a higher purpose than you, great. But also accept the fact that, like, you might need help sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, like, being that kind of person who has shortcomings. Maybe shortcomings, shortcomings aren't even the right word. But, like, maybe even if you're that, that person who feels like you could improve in some way, yo, that's, that's the first step. Make a list. Think about it. Meditate. For sure. All right, Eamon, um,
2: thank you so much for your time. I have one final question for you, and it's a big oh, one.
3: Shit. Why don't I feel like this is going to be the hardest one?
2: It, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's <laughs> going to be hard. All right, <laughs> oh, will man. you commit publicly on the Really Bro podcast to go to the dentist?
3: No. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Uh, no, I, I will. I will. I will. Uh, this is the thing. I feel like I have to find a new dentist now. I'm like humiliated. <laughs> True. I can't like stroll in and they're all going to be looking at me like, oh, this is that kid, you know? Uh, <laughs> I got to find like a new dentist now. For sure. Fair? For sure. Uh, yo, you called me out. <laughs> See, now I feel like there's like a row of 10-year-olds behind me being like, ooh. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I'm just playing. No, no, <laughs> playing. I'm messing with uh, you. Uh,
2: but thank you so uh, much no. for your time, man. Yeah.
3: Thank you so much, man. This is really cool. I'm really, really proud. Proud of everybody doing this kind of podcast, and especially proud of you guys because you guys are killing it. Yeah, I'm
1: proud of you too, man. I, I remember when Sammy first sent me the screenshot of your podcast, I was like, ooh, someone else is
3: out here. I like it. It's good It's good to see. It's cool, man. And and you're right. I just want to reiterate for everybody listening, asking questions is really sometimes as far as you go, but it's really important that you do it
1: So we just got off the phone with Eman Ismail. Yeah, we just got off the phone with him a week and a half ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, that was actually a week and three quarters ago. So. Oh my God, that seems like so long ago. It was so long ago. That's but crazy. reaching back into your memory, Sammy, Yeah. what sticks out to you? What's uh, your
2: takeaway? Are you asking me to break it down?
1: Break it down.
2: Break it down like I'm dancing. I think one of the biggest things that sticks out to me is that it's like it's definitely a growth process right because and we're always going to be like wanting to be a little bit different like the grass is always going to be a little greener in like the type of man that we can be like i think if you are you know if you are thinking about these things and you're like let's say like being very classically paternalistic and like taking care of everyone I think I would be questioning myself in that situation. I'd be like, why am I doing this? Like, what are my motivations? Mm -hmm. But, like, if I was on the other side of that, like, I'd be like, yo, I want to be, like, providing these things, you know? So, like, I feel like the grass is, like, always a little bit greener, and you're like, Mm -hmm. at least personally, I feel like I'm never fully satisfied with, like, the way that I'm approaching taking care of others as a man, even though I want to be.
1: Yes, I feel the same way. I feel like when I'm approaching this issue, I'm always trying to figure out how to stand on the fence. Yeah. Like, fences are lucky skinny yeah I don't have very good balance well
2: actually I learned from the office um, the key is to uh I, the key to sleeping on a, on a fence is to stick the pole in your mouth in your mouth yeah and then you're able to stay on both sides oh.
1: yeah that sounds painful I guess so is finding balance mm. wow I don't know how do you think you're gonna take that into your life um like do you see yourself changing anything about the way you go about these friendships or relationships? Mm.
2: I, not right now. I I don't, I don't think so because I think like I am already sort of like thinking about it and I definitely want to keep thinking about it like in my actions Um, but I'm worried sort of like with the, with what I was just talking about, I'm a little worried that I'll like overthink it, you Mm. know, because if you overthink, overthink these things too much, it's, it's sort of impossible to be satisfied and like I want to be I want to be satisfied, but still thinking at all, at the same time, you know? Yeah. And that's, like, almost an impossible dynamic to hold. Um, yeah.
1: What about you? I think I'm sort of coming to the realization that I'm sometimes, like, I think I'm sometimes a little bit suffocating when I try to support people. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I think, I don't know, because, like, deep down, like, I want to be, like, I want to be, like, doing something, oh. you know, and, like, jumping all over it. But, like, I think... That just low-key doesn't work for a lot of people. Mm. And, like, I'm realizing, like, in a lot of cases... A really hard thing... Uh, sorry. No, go ahead. A really hard thing about supporting people is,
2: like, it is so different, like, depending yeah. on the person, you know? And, like, some people, if they say they want, like, space, like, to process things, like, they really mean it. Some people, mm-hmm. like, don't really mean it. Some people right. won't say that, but they actually want space. Some people, like, don't want space, and they'll say that. I feel like that's that's the easiest one to support, is when people don't want space Like, when they want you to support
1: them and they're willing to tell you. But that's, like, almost never the case. It's rare. I mean, I have a couple good friends who are like that. Uh but I think that's very mature. It's very mature. And, like, I don't know. Like, I always get stuck when it's people who, like, say they want support but then don't really accept it. Mm. You know? It's hard to accept support, though. It's really hard to accept I feel like it's
2: probably usually guys.
1: Yes. And, like, I definitely do that, too. Yeah. Which I think is maybe why I'm so frustrated by it. It's because, like, I see... I see sort of like that same flaw in myself. Yeah. I don't know.
2: Hmm. What do you, what do you do about that?
1: Um, usually like, usually be a little suffocating until like, they're honest with me. It depends how close I am to them too. Yeah. If it's, if it's one of like my like really, really close friends, Mm -hmm. I like, am usually able to like see through it and call them on it. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, like I feel like some moments I just have to like be like be present, but from a distance, I guess. Yeah. I think I think it's really
2: hard like even from even well actually I don't know I think like even with really really close friends or like or family because like they're the ones who like you want to support the most but like sometimes that makes it the hardest you know mm-hmm. what I mean like especially with family I feel
1: yeah no I feel that so hard with family cuz especially like I think with family is like it's where the like that power dynamic is the most evident uh-huh. you know like I know my my dad, and, like, we're super close, like, would yeah. never probably talk through these things with me. And, yeah. like, because he wants to be there for me in that way. Yeah. You know? And, like, mm. I think a lot of times, like, when there's, like, there's, like, a clear power dynamic in family. Like, parents, kids, you know? Yeah. um, Like, older sibling, younger sibling. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, like, I, I feel like when that's present, it's hard for the support to go the other way.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, but... I don't know. I still. I think that can be sometimes useful. Like, I think like the parent dynamic is like is actually really awesome. Like, in the sense that there's a very clear power dynamic that exists of like who's supposed to support who. And I think like for the most part, that's like really beneficial for the kid because like for example, when you're, I think a common thing for for kids is to say that they like don't need support when they actually do. Right. But like a parent's job in some cases is to like ignore what their kids yeah. say and do it and like. And, like, and in, in doing so, support them. And that can sometimes not be what the kid actually wants. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, like, I know well, I, when I was a kid and even probably still sometimes I would not accept support from my mom even though, like, it probably would be the beneficial thing.
1: You know? Yes.
2: Or I... I'm at least re- – or I could be at least resistant to it.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I felt like – a lot of times I almost felt like I had to resist. Like, it was sort of like – a duty. It's I, a little bit that you play. It's a little bit you play. Like yeah. like, let me help you. I'm be like, no, I'm fine. I'm like a strong, independent teenager. And they're like, F- it, you're still living in our house. Like <laughs> let us, let us support yeah, you. Yeah,
2: even though you might have wanted it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: definitely. Or not. Or you also there's a dynamic of like with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to admit to yourself, yeah, that you're, that you're weaker than you are.
1: Yeah, like internally you might want something, but like consciously you can like reject that.
2: Yeah, I went to um, a talk today, and it was by like a pretty. um a pretty well known figure and he was talking about like imposter syndrome. Oh. Right? The idea yeah. of Wait, who was it? James Comey. Mm-hmm. Um and he was talking about I mean imposter syndrome is basically the idea that like, you know, you're scared that someday you'll be discovered, right? Like people will realize right. that like you're fake, you're like a fraud, you're not as good as they think you are. Um and he was talking about how that like exists at every level, never goes away, like no matter what what level you, what level you reach. Um but I think in this case The truth is sort of um, that you don't want... Like, you have imposter syndrome with yourself. Ooh. Like, you're worried that you'll actually discover what's underneath you.
1: Wow. Wow. And that you're weaker than you are. I think, honestly, if anything sums up our, like, three and a third seasons, it's maybe that sentence. Imposter syndrome with yourself. Ooh. Like I feel like it's that internal tension. Like that's yeah. the, that's what we're that's what we've been trying to get at yeah. like, this whole time.
2: This is like a little bit of kooky, sh- but like if that's the case, if you're trying, if you're worried about discovering your your true self, and that that true self will not please yourself, like, do you think that it's po- like I feel like that lends itself to the idea of people having or of us having like multiple selves.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, and like that goes all the way back to what like the ego, the like it and the superego I don't know and what like, that is it's like old pseudoscience oh. but um, yeah like the whole I'm an intro to Psych this quarter actually and so like the whole idea of like separate mind from body almost uh-huh. like physically like our like bodies and posture like demand one thing which is like to be independent and strong but like our minds and hearts like that's like a that's a very like old idea that like modern psychology doesn't support but I think it's very it doesn't relevant. support it doesn't because. It doesn't because like, the heart doesn't think right. But I sure. think like, on an ex like, if you take a step back and look at it externally, like I think it's very relevant socially still. Mm. Like regardless of whether that's actually the way our bodies work or not, like I think, that sort of dissonance. I think that same dissonance is like very present in like, being there for someone or caregiving. Yeah. You know, like yeah, you can't. You want to be like. Let the people around you like flower and grow in their own ways. And sometimes that means stepping back mm. and like not being that suffocating sort of masculine figure. And like at the same time, like I feel like a lot of men have like two sort of selves operating, you know, like mm. the one who is like fully like suffocating and dominant. Yeah. And the other and one, the other one like is like that is like totally stepped back and afraid. Yeah. And like there's a happy medium in there somewhere. But is there though? Because if we're really describing those
2: as like two. Two men within a man like i because I feel like that's a tension that really exists like among mm-hmm. like among all men, right yeah is there if there but there's two like if you're they're really like two people then like is there a medium between like two people mm. or is it like a give and take the the metaphor that makes sense to me is those two men uh within a person constantly conversing with each other and deciding like how like the physical
1: man like will be. This is going to sound like a tangent, but I promise it's relevant. Okay. So I'm in Native American history, and last week we read an Iroquois creation story. Uh And basically, like... It's Iroquois, but... Okay. Actually, it's Um, We read a um creation story. And, like, a bunch of stuff happens before this, but one of sort of the core points was that there are two brothers, and they sort of represent, like, good and evil, right? And... Eventually, I think the last one of the last lines of it was like they are both within us all today hmm. I think like that and you know like there there was a part where like they kept like one would create like the good brother would create an animal uh-huh. and the bad brother would create an animal that kills that animal, but there's yeah. always more of the good animal than the bad brother than like the animal that kills that one interesting um and I don't know, I just thought I think that's like very true within ourselves too, yeah. Interesting. I think that's very true within ourselves. That like we're always creating we're like creating bad reasons to not do good, but then we're creating new goods that we can do. Mm.
2: Yeah, interesting. Do you think the good always outweighs the bad?
1: No. Hmm. Do you?
2: I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. I hope so.
1: I hope so too. I feel like it doesn't. You don't think so? I think I think this actually goes a lot back. This is definitely a tangent, but it's an important one. I feel like a lot of this goes back to, like, religious beliefs. Like, do you believe in a higher power? Uh-huh. Like, do you believe in ultimate good? Do you believe in a higher power? I believe I can fly. I hate that song. <laughs> I hate it, too. But I felt like it was a relevant song.
2: I was thinking more like Kendrick Lamar, like, ain't nothing less than high power.
1: Mm. Okay, any final thoughts?
2: Uh, thanks so much to Eamon for, for coming on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eamon is a true bro. Like, I don't know. You know those people who just, like, They take your thinking and they're like, they ball it all together and then throw it back at you. Yeah. That's what I felt. That was like, yeah. yeah, big shout out to Amen. You guys should all totally go check out his podcast, Man Up.
0: I wrote this record while 30,000 feet in the air. Steward is complimenting me on my nappy hair. If I can... In front of all of these passengers, they'll probably think I'm a terrorist. Eat my asparagus, then I'm axing their thoughts of a young. Fast money and freedom, a crash dummy for dollars. I know you dying to meet them, I'll probably die in a minute. Just bury me with 20, 20 million in the cock down fitted. Hold, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Yeah, big. Hop in. Section 80. Back in this in the back of them I hold my back against the wall and you Not on the edge of my t- j- jump off I call up a, yeah. a, a woman a woman I never did nothing but break the ground on top of the asphalt your mark if you have a this that I'm easily pedaling with the speed of a lightning bolt As a kid I killed two adults I'm too advanced I live my 20s at two years old the wiser man truth be told I'm like 87 wicked as 80 reverends in a pool of fire with devils holding hands from a distance, don't know which one is a Christian. Who can I trust in 2012? There's no one, not even myself. But i not screaming for help. Somebody, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, yeah, big poppin'. Everybody watching, when you do it like this, losing ain't an option. Hold up, 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 yeah, big poppin'. 24-7 Working this for She popping that port. The king of diamonds With diamonds I never do export for They checking my passport I'm too accustomed With customs You calling the task force I killed it Somebody cuff them They want me to fast forward The game and why you complain When you lock this passport You'll never hop in my lane When you pushing a raft for it. You wreckin' my Jaguar You play like a passport Her feet on the dashboard Hola How Hola How Hola, Hola. Hola. Everybody watching when you do it like this Losing ain't an option hola, 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 hola. Yeah, big I've everybody watching when you do it like this I wrote this record while 30,000 feet in the air the Steward is complimenting me on my nappy hair If I can f*** in front of all of these passengers They'll probably think I'm Osama The plane emergency landed It was a honor, hold